0: Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and once again, we are going to have a great show for you today. We are going to be talking about dementia and that it's not just dementia. We're going to talk about trauma-informed Montessori dementia care and what that actually is, and how that can help you. Before we get started, I would just encourage people to go to alzheimerspeaks.com. We have a ton of free resources that you can access, um, and you can also get to Dementia Map, uh, which is a resource directory with tons of great information. And you can also access our book, Betty the Bald Chicken, Lessons in How to Care, which is a children's book that really anybody can read and feel a little bit better um, or open discussions um, with when you're just feeling like you don't fit in. So with no further ado, let's pull our guests in. So I'm so excited to have the two of you on the show today. We are lucky enough to have Reverend Katie Norris and her son Jeffrey Norris with us. And I'm going to let them introduce themselves because they can do a lot better job than I can. So Katie, do you want to go first?
1: Sure. Um, So I'm Reverend Katie Norris, and uh, that just means I'm a community minister, a Unitarian Universalist minister, and I do all my work in dementia care. And uh, I have been a Montessori-based dementia care specialist for 14 years and am the primary author of the book Creative Connections in Dementia Care, which is based on the um, arts, like art program that I created using the Montessori style to teach family members, how to care for their loved one with dementia, but also have things that you can actually do together that you like, um, and that can bring more connection together. So, um, and then obviously when COVID hit, everything, you know, changed, you go online and all that kind of fun stuff. And that's how we kind of ended up doing much more of our work online now instead, whereas I used to do a lot of like one-on-one teaching and teaching other people how to be a Montessori based dementia care practitioner and things like that. So, yeah, wonderful. Thank you,
0: Jeffrey. How about you?
2: Yeah. So, I'm Jeffrey Norris. This is my mom. And then we, so I started doing this dementia like business with her about a year ago when we started taking it online. And it kind of, I was looking for something to do in my life. And then I thought that dementia, well, it's part of my life and something that's pretty important to me. So, I really thought that that was something that would be a good option for me to go into and to try and help other people. So then just doing this stuff online was like a perfect segue because I like been online a lot as like a kid these days. So just a really easy transition into helping with the dementia care.
0: Okay, wonderful. Thank you both for sharing. Katie, can I ask you first? I know you've been touched by dementia, but but our audience doesn't necessarily know that. So can you give us a little bit of your story?
1: Sure. So, my mom was diagnosed with Lewy body dementia. Oh, it's probably been like 15, 16 years ago. Um, she did die eight years ago, but that was our first kind of foray into dementia care. Um, we, I was in seminary and I was going to go be a minister. And so uh, everything got turned upside down. We moved in with my parents. Jeffrey was yeah. like
0: six, six. Yeah.
1: <laughs> to help take care of her. And so, um, you know, that's kind of how we got into this. My dad's a doctor and we still had no resources. And we'll talk about that a little bit later that that's why we started this because I was like, how can we not have any resources and not know how to help mom? Um, you know, and Lewy body dementia also comes with a lot of movement disorder and things like that. So it was kind of complex. And so we're all in this family together trying to take care of mom. And so that's how we got started. Um and then actually, now my dad has Alzheimer's disease, and he was diagnosed a couple of years ago, so we are back uh into the family um care partnering role as well again, except long distance for us this time
0: okay wonderful jeffrey how did how did it touch you in terms of you know you're six years old and moving yeah. into with this?
2: yeah, well, it was very i mean the same circumstances, but it was very much a different experience for me just being like a little kid and not really having a full grasp on like I mean first what dementia was but then also like just how life works with people with dementia like it's just a really it's a hard thing for a kid to grasp but I think it taught me a lot about just like what's important in life and what really matters to you in some sense Mm -hmm. yeah and I don't know, it was just a big, it shaped a lot of my life as a kid and like how I interacted with people and friends and just the community around me because I was like kind of put in some more of like a care partner role for my grandma.
0: Okay, do you mind if I ask you how old you are now?
2: Oh yeah, I'm 19 now.
0: 19, okay, so Wow. Yeah. The majority of your life has been been filled. Yeah. With this. That's kind of like my daughter. My mom lived with the disease for 30 years and mm-hmm. she only knew her grandma um, with dementia. And uh, she's now been gone since uh, 2014. But, you know, that was that was the only person she knew. So she didn't see another side of that. And I think it has a big effect on children and empathy and compassion and all of all those things that seem to be slipping to the side in society these days, which I think is really, really important. Katie, now you, you talked about moving in, you know, to care for your mom and that there really weren't resources. Is that really what sparked you to become a dementia care specialist and advocate?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, I think there were a few things I, you know, my mom her biggest fear. I don't think I went a month of my whole life without my mom at least once since I was a child saying she didn't want to get Alzheimer's because that's what her mom had. Um, and the care for her, even though they put her in the best place that they could and everything, just it terrified my mom. So when she got diagnosed, um, and we uh, went to some organizations, you know, for support groups and things like that, and. And talk to doctors, and they're like, "Here is a pamphlet. Uh, you're, you know, you're going to have all these behaviors, and there's nothing you can do about it." And it was just like this endless kind of like suffering narrative. I was like, "Oh my gosh, I don't. This can't. This can't be the only option." <laughs> and so I kind of started researching dementia, and didn't get a lot of information. But um, I'm a Montessori kid, so I was went to Montessori through eighth grade. And by then Jeffrey was in Montessori schools, but I am neurodivergent. And so a lot of the things that work for my brain from Montessori, I noticed in the home worked for mom. She was able to do things that people thought people with dementia can't do. So I was like, well, maybe this is a thing. And fortunately, uh, where we lived in Cleveland, Jennifer Brush was there and teaching Montessori based dementia care. And so I found her and that's kind of how. I got started. um, And it was really because I just, my mom and I couldn't accept that it was going to be 100% bad all the time. Obviously, that's not going to be 100% good all the time, but that there had to be another way. Um, And then I realized other families didn't have this information either. And so I started um, running my program out of the basement of a little church. (laughs) And, uh, you know, then later started a family foundation and things and wrote the book. So
0: yeah. Okay. Can you explain to our audience what neurodivergent means? Because that's not a term that that is as common as like Alzheimer's and dementia.
1: Yes. So um, neurodivergent just means anybody that has a brain that functions a little bit differently than um, what we assume is neurotypical. Um, so you can have be born with a neurodivergence or you could acquire one later. So technically dementia does fall under the category of like um being of a neurodivergence. Um I have ADHD and bipolar disorder and those can fall under that same umbrella. It's actually an umbrella. There's a great graphic of that an umbrella term like we say dementia or dementia is an umbrella term. So um you know it's just that we don't fall into the typical what we, what society thinks of as the way a brain should typically function although now we know there's lots of variation in that um but yeah that's what neurodivergent means
0: yeah well there's a big difference between knowing it's there and accepting that it's there yeah. you know yeah. and how people treat you um jeffrey how about you what made you decide to to step into this
2: yeah so i really wanted to step into this I'm partly because of my, like, the personal effect it had on me and how much I saw, like, I mean, we definitely struggled with dementia care when we were caring for my grandma. So I thought, like, if we're struggling and we're doing all this stuff and we're, like, trying our hardest, if, if we've got to be able to help other people to help them with their struggle. So that was something that was really important to me And starting to kind of get into this. But I really started with the... Uh, the online like doing it through Instagram and helping people that way because I just I don't know we saw really got into it because she was doing it and then she asked me to act in some of the videos and then so I kind of got into it that way, but then once I started to see all of like the comments of people saying like how much has helped them and how much that they really didn't know what how to help their loved one at all and were just kind of like floundering and didn't really know what to do. That, those comments were really what motivated me to try and get more involved and really start helping people more.
0: So I'm going to pose a generational question to the two of yeah. you. So typically we think of kids as being real social media savvy and us older adults, not so much. Uh, Katie, is that one of the reasons you pulled, pulled on Jeffrey or are, are you savvy and just thought that that he would be able to hit, help by acting you know,
1: certain things out? um I think a mix of both I yeah. technically know how to use Instagram yeah, better I than think you do
2: savvy in different yeah. ways yeah like she is really good with like she's been doing stuff on like Instagram Facebook a lot so she's really like really good with like the technical stuff actually and like better at learning that than I am because I didn't like I use social media but not like posting stuff really mm-hmm. but then I think for like the content wise, I think us teaming up is a lot better than either one of us combined. Like I don't think our stuff would do nearly as well if it was just 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 one one of us. us. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think originally I needed an actor. Mm -hmm. And um, so I asked Jeffrey, and then I realized that we come up with, I, you know, in the beginning, I forgot how much Dementia, he had been around, not just my mom, but when I was running programs, he was there guiding people through art all the time. And so, you know, when we would come up with scenarios, I was like, wow, we actually know a ton of, you know, we know a ton of people between both of us and also have a different perspective. And so um, that was really helpful. He is much better at now that we have like online courses that course platform stuff. And you know, all this stuff, trying to build the, yeah. I don't know. And he's much better at learning that and looking it up. I get so annoyed in like yeah. two seconds. I'm, I'm over it.
0: Well, I, I get you there. I get you there. My daughter's the same way. And and my son-in-law, they're like, Oh mom, we'll get this, you know, blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, how'd you even find that? You know? <laughs> yeah, know. That doesn't happen
2: sometimes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a, it sounds like a really nice match. Katie, I want to ask you, you talk about trauma informed Montessori Montessori based dementia care. What the heck is that?
1: I know it's a long name and I added the trauma informed to it and we'll, you know, talk a little bit about, about that. Why, but you know, Montessori people assume it's just for kids. And now we really understand that it works with the neuroscience of how the brain works um, even if you have neurodegenerative disease. And um, so, you know, it's a really a lifestyle of a way that like we use Montessori in our own life, but for people with dementia, it supports meaningful engagement and dignity and independence by using the Montessori principles like prepared environment and queuing, templating, sequencing, all these things to set up the environment so um, that they can function and that they can be part of a community, and they can be more independent, and so that we can stop dementia behaviors typically before they happen, and I think that's one of the things I feel like we're often chasing dementia behaviors. Um, You know, my loved one is yelling, and I don't know why. What do I do about it? Uh, With the Montessori program, it's really, how do we set up an environment for the person so it matches them physically and cognitively so that we don't have those behaviors ideally? You know, we can't get rid of everything, but most things. Um, And so it's just, it's a different approach, you know, even in care communities, typically there's an activity at one, an activity at four, an activity, right? Everybody goes to an activity, or maybe there's a couple people go to a group you know, we are all doing activities. You and I are doing, all three of us are doing activity together. (laughs) Um, And our house is set up in stations. You have where you work, you have where you cook, you have, you know, where you sleep. You probably have a place, unless you're like me with ADHD, I often don't have this, a place to put your keys in your purse so you know where they are, right? Mm -hmm. And your environment cues your brain of what you should be doing where And how it works for you, right? So my setup for what works for me is different than Jeffrey's. Mm -hmm. And if we can do that same thing for people with dementia, um, that's when we see much less wandering, confusion, agitation, because when our brain doesn't know what it should be doing or what we might want to do, it shuts down, even in dementia. And so, you know, it needs to be set up differently for them. But like in a dementia community, a care community, there would really be like, a whole bunch of different stations and and activities are kind of like all day. And there would still be ones where you would have scheduled and stuff too. Um, But your life is activities and like our normal life. And so it really makes a huge difference um, in how people live and those behaviors that we see. Um, And then I added in trauma informed because I think people know now not to do care practices that are traumatic to people with dementia. Like now we know to not put a black mat. That used to be a really big suggestion to put a black mat in front of a door so that people don't walk out the door because they think it's a hole. we we'll just imagine that panic of you thinking you're going to fall through a hole would not be something we would want for somebody. And that's not a trauma-informed practice. So we don't do things that um, increase fear for people, but it's also about understanding their past. Someone with dementia might... Um, have a certain dementia behavior because they have had something happen to them in the past. And if we're looking at it as, oh, that's just dementia. Um, and, you know, let's say they they keep running out of the house at a certain time of the day and, the, oh, well, they just elope, right? That's what people with dementia do. Um, I've found with some people, there was a noise in the home that um, maybe like the air conditioning turns on at a certain time. And it makes a really loud noise. The person thinks someone's in the home going to rob them because that's happened in the past. And then they leave the house. So, you know, that's because to them, that sound is scary because of past experience. So we kind of want to look at all that kind of stuff and family systems. But at the same time for the care partner without dementia, um, we want to make sure that it's also not traumatic. We're not promoting traumatic care for them, care practices for them either. So, we do a lot of like family systems work and things like that, because if you, let's say you're caring for a parent or even a spouse that is uh, narcissistic or has had abusive behaviors, people keep telling people that that's just dementia and, you know, it's okay. They don't mean it. Don't, you know, just, just change your mindset. It's, it's fine. It's not, you know, don't you love them? Why, you know, why is it so hard for you? But that's very different. It's almost like telling someone to put an abuser back in with their abuser. And and even though there's also dementia, um, it's not the same thing, right? So it may not be the dementia. It may be a pattern they've always had. Yeah. So we need to look at that kind of stuff in terms of how we're talking about care and what somebody is able and not able to do and what is physically and mentally safe for everybody, and so that's why we added a lot of that trauma informed practices in
0: well, I'm glad you mentioned about the the abusive um situation because so often that is hidden yeah when dementia comes on board, now you can't always hide it. it just yeah. kind of mm-hmm. pops up you know it's not a controlled um, manipulation you know type situation right so mm-hmm. a lot of people even family and friends may not have had a clue any of this stuff was ever occurring before. And, and the, and the other care partner may still just be in denial in yeah. terms of wanting to admit it. I mean, there's so many levels going on in this situation in terms of how to, how to deal with something like that. Right. Wow. Um, Jeffrey, I want to ask you, you know, about your your mother and son, you know, care team and stuff. How do you think it's helping other families versus what individuals like I do? You know, when when I'm just a, a lone wolf out there, you know, with the two of you working together.
2: Yeah, so I mean, I think the lone wolf definitely works, but I think we kind of have a different perspective that we can bring. I think it helps a lot with because dementia is, like, a, a medical illness, but it's also very much, like, a familial, mm-hmm. like, thing that people deal with, which is, I think, where we have, like, a really good perspective and can relate to a lot of people very well because we went through that, like, family thing. And we have the impact of not only just, like, the kid, but also the grandparent, and we also uh, did a lot of stuff with, like, spouses, so we kind of have that, like, uh, what am I trying to say? They have, like vision too, like of what they're dealing with. But I think it just helps a lot with us helping other families to kind of address not just the not just the person with dementia, like how to solve for behavior with them, but also how to help help the whole family be more healthy and just have a better time and like make it their journey with dementia easier. And I think one of the, our biggest examples of that that I remember was. When we, we post, I think I posted a video talking about how when we were caring for my grandma, a lot of the things, or one of the things that we remember that we did wrong was we kind of made it, I don't think we realized how everyone plays into the system to mention how everyone in the household is like very valuable. Well, yeah, we're all very valuable, but we also I think we prioritized my grandma a little bit more than everyone else in the household and that kind of especially being a kid like you can't really realize why that's happening so it kind of was hard for me as a kid to not be able to like go out to friend's house or not be able to have anyone over because my grandma had dementia but so we posted a video about that and then we had someone come back to us and talk say that that's a lot of what they were experiencing too and that their kids were feeling like a little bit just it seemed like their kids had changed since they moved in and they were feeling really down they couldn't really put their finger on why because it seemed like everything was going fine to them as parents but they didn't realize that their kids were kind of being restricted in this way and that they couldn't have like the normal kid experience that's very healthy so and we talked with them a little bit and they talked to their kids about how really talking about what dementia is and what is happening with their loved ones so that the kids could really understand this sense of really having kindness for their their grandparent and then also realizing that they still have needs and that as a kid that they're going to try and as a family work more towards having these normal kid experiences and letting their kids have like more freedom and more time to do things.
0: I also want to introduce you all to Q-Blocks. They have been absolutely excellent to deal with. They have been in business for 18 years and they serve the globe. I can't say enough good things about this company. I've had a lot of bad experiences. I don't know about you with tech companies. They have made a very complicated process, very easy. And their staff is so kind, so polite, so respectful to work with. And, you know, when I am frustrated and ready to pull my hair out, they just smile and tell me everything's going to be okay. And they really are just on top of the communication, which alleviates so much stress as an owner when you're dealing with tech issues. You can get a 10% discount. Visit them at Qblocks at C U E. Blocks dot com, or you can email them at let's talk at dot com for that ten percent discount. Just put Lori L O R I in the inquiry form, and again, I don't think you'll be disappointed. I surely haven't been. I I can't rave enough about this company, and that's kind of rare these days. Well, and I think that's an excellent point. I think the family dynamics do change and parents mm-hmm. typically want to protect their kids and don't want it to be their responsibility, but it still is because they're part of the household structure. Yeah. And and that loss, plus you can see when you're when your you know parent is stressed and yeah. what's going on in the house, but then yeah. we're pretending like we got it handled, it's not,
1: <laughs> uh-huh. it's not
0: affecting them at all. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, scratching yeah. their head going something's really off and I'd like to help, but no one's really invited me into the circle. Yeah, there's yeah. there's all of those things going on. I remember talking um, at a high school one time and I was shocked how many kids were supporting, you know, a, another family member either in their house or they had to get home from school to help watch yeah. for a little bit. Um, some of those shift changes, yet they they were never really trained. They were never really yeah. told what was going on. And they knew the whole family dynamics had changed. And yet there was, there was like no support for them to go anywhere. And, you know, there was probably over 30% of the class,
2: you know,
0: that were dealing with this that had never told anybody. Mm -hmm. What do you, what do you say? And I was, I was shocked at the number and those were the ones that were super active then you add in the ones that, you know, it was in the family, which was just about everybody said it's in the family one way or the other, but again, weren't invited to be a player, you know, in in the system. And I think kids have such great creative abilities um, and see things that we don't always see and are willing to try things that. That we haven't even thought of, or, or our mind is going, oh, they can't do that. And and then they're over there and it's like, oh my gosh, they're doing that. Who would have thought? Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. Well, the kids thought that. Uh-huh. You know? yeah. and so not inviting them in is really doing a disservice mm-hmm. on multiple levels, I think. Right, yeah. So I think that's a really, really important conversation.
2: Yeah. I think I also want to talk about how kids are, a lot of times, kids. It can be kids can really want to get involved with dementia care too, and it's hard. It's something where if we don't talk to them about it, then they don't really know what's happening. But a lot of times, if you like talk with your kid about what's going on. Then they a lot of times they will want to help and they will see like fun things to do with their loved one mm-hmm. and things that hey, like you said that they you would have never thought of. But like they can create these great moments with their grandparents and still have really good memories with them, even though they're going through dementia.
0: Well, and it's that you know every, we always talk about everybody wants purpose. Well, kids want yeah, purpose too. True. They want to be yeah. helpful, and we know how we feel when we ask a friend, "Can we help?" And we know they need help, but they shut us down, and that's really what we're doing with our kids.
1: Yeah,
0: is shutting them down. You know, they're saying they're not responsible enough, or they're not old enough, or mature enough. Right, and yet that isn't you know that isn't always what's needed. I remember one time uh, visiting my mom and my, um, she, she really wanted to be able to babysit my daughter and my daughter was like four and she was early stages, but it was still concerning. And so my husband and I said, we got to make this work because this is really, really important to her. And so she would, um, they would just play basically. And then I would, you know, bring something over to eat that was all prepared and all set to go. And I'll never, I, I will never, ever forget this image walking into the dining room and my, you know, four or five-year-old daughter is sitting with grandma coloring, mm-hmm. both held up their pictures and they were oh. both just as proud. Yeah. That's- it just melted my heart, you know, and that, that was something I never probably would have done, you know, yeah. my mom, because I was too busy, you know, with my big to do list and stuff, but they both were just in the zone. Uh, mm-hmm. So connected, having so much fun, and just proud of, of what they accomplished. And, you know, I, I felt lucky to to have been able to just walk in at that moment where they were both still doing it to share it the way they did, because Yeah. Of, it was just such a powerful, powerful
2: moment. That's amazing. That's, yeah, it really is.
0: Well, for those of you that are just tuning in now, I promise you, you're going to want to rewind and go back to the beginning because we are talking with Reverend Katie Norris and her son Jeffrey, who are with Recourse Coaching, and they have a whole different perspective on how to deal with dementia using trauma-informed Montessori-based dementia care. Next, we are going to be talking about why dementia isn't just dementia. So stay right with us. Katie, you've referred to dementia isn't just dementia. Mm-hmm. And I know dementia is complicated. People think dementia and Alzheimer's are the same and stuff. Why don't you give your de- your definition of why you think dementia isn't just one thing.
1: Okay. So yeah, actually there's two parts to that. You know, the whole dementia technically is the umbrella term for anything that can kind of cause a loss of cognition bad enough that it affects your daily life, right? So there's many different forms of dementia, Alzheimer's being one of them. Um, Lewy body dementia, which my mom had, vascular dementia, you can have mixed dementia, which is that you have more than one of those things. But I think that in society, when we talk about dementia, people think of two things, memory loss and uh, bad behavior. Um, air quotes around the bad. So <laughs> because um, and we know that dementia doesn't only present as memory loss. It can present as trouble with vision, trouble with walking, um, emotional dysregulation, all these other kinds of things. But it's really the behaviors that people talk about the most, and that there's still this perception of someone gets dementia and then they're hard to handle. They hit, they wander, they leave the home, they argue, they're paranoid. The list goes on and on. Um, and when we say a behavior like that is just dementia, then there's no way to help them because dementia right now we don't have you know uh, an a cure, a pill to fix this, um, and. When we just say that that behavior is just dementia, we don't figure out that there's actually an underlying reason. And the underlying reason is not only just dementia. So like I always talk about when people, um, you know, driving is always a big one. Uh, <laughs> someone wants to drive and we tell them that they can't. Now, um, somebody would say, well, someone's just getting agitated because they have dementia and they can't understand, they can't drive. Some people can understand that they can't drive, but that's not the problem. If for one person, what is, and this kind of gets to the trauma-informed part. If for one person, what's really bothering them and is terrifying to them is a loss of independence. And to another person, what's really terrifying to them is that they can't go meet with their coffee club that they meet with every Wednesday, which are their people, their friends. Those are two different issues. And so- when most people will try to, and there's lots of tips of we'll show them a letter from the doctor, make sure that it's visible, leave it out. And we do that too. Cause for some people, it really is that they don't always remember that they can't drive and that works for them. But if I show that person who is scared, they're losing their independence, a note from the doctor, they're just gonna, it doesn't matter. And if they didn't have dementia, it still wouldn't matter. Cause we're all like that, right? <laughs> um, if our brain is triggered, in like this fear place enough, um, that kind of reasoning and stuff won't work, regardless of whether or not you have dementia. And so we need to meet the underlying cause. So if they're really scared that they're losing their independence, we want to address with them the ways that we're going to help them maintain their independence and create safety and trust and show them how that we're gonna set up the environment so that they can get where they want. And we're gonna make sure that they can do the things that they wanna do. Um, and that, you know, makes a huge difference in terms of how somebody's dementia behaviors show up or don't show up. So we always say that like, when you see a behavior and you, you know, you always ask, why is this behavior happening? You know, you don't ever when this is a Montessori thing, you don't ever want the answer to be that it's just dementia, because then you'll stop looking for what's really underneath it. And once we look to find what's underneath, you know, somebody may be trying to get out of a car because their vision has changed and they perceive car that you're too close to the car in front of you. Whereas everybody else thinks, oh, well, they don't understand why they're in a car. That might not actually be the problem. So Mm -hmm. we have to address the underlying problem. And so that's why we talk about that it's not just dementia a lot.
0: No, I, and I I totally agree with you. In, in fact, like when I speak, I I don't even like really using the word behavior. I don't I, even I try to get people to look at it as a clue, mm-hmm. and it's just a reaction. And yes. we all react differently for different reasons, and so it's not one set of things. Yeah, and and, and I also try to get people to understand how horrible it must feel to be told you've got a behavior as often as so many people use that word mm-hmm. what that would I mean what that does to us as individuals with dementia or not yeah. how that makes us feel you know it makes us feel incompetent uncapable and you know if you're hearing yeah. that all the time you're going to start believing that in yourself too yeah. and, and yet you've got this, you know, limited ability to be able to communicate. And, and so often it's, it, you know, and you had said this earlier, it's really setting up that environment. I mean, I've seen it where, you know, light coming through the blinds and creating shadows, yep. or this yeah. is, you know, can cause paranoia. And they're like, who's here? And then the clouds go by and then it's okay. And then all of a sudden the sun comes out again or, or vice versa. And yeah. And it it has nothing to do with the dementia. It has, you know, it has to do like what you said with the safety and the trust and making sure that they're comfortable um, in that environment there. So um, I think that that's great that you guys really work on that because I think that is key. And when you know things like that too, like, uh, you know, with the light coming in through the blinds that's something you can change ahead of time. So it doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, or like noises, you know, if something's really loud. um, You can either be prepared for it if it if it just happens and know there's going to be a reaction coming and why, or you can, you know, not have the TV on that loud or whatever it might be, you know, Um, I I just think that that makes so much sense. Um, Jeffrey, did you have something you want to add?
2: Uh, For the not just dementia, um, I think you hit a lot of points for not just dementia. But yeah, I mean, just reiterating the thing that, yeah, if it's, we always want to look for why something's happening in whatever we're doing. So just always trying to like, look at things more critically and be more aware of everything that's going on, like their environment, how they're feeling and yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: That's a good point the why. I think a lot of times in the world today people aren't looking for the why. They're just reacting
1: right.
0: on, on somebody else's reaction and then it's this, this triggered chain yeah. that happens. I'm going to pose this to to Katie first in terms of the Montessori-based care and how it can also not just help the the person with dementia but those caring for them mm-hmm. both family and professionals.
1: So I think the biggest thing is that everyone's panic goes down. <laughs> yeah. um, you feel far less overwhelmed and scared. And like you are chasing the next bad thing that's going to happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, in com- care communities that have more of a Montessori style um, in the it's it's interesting because when you set up when you work with Montessori um, setups, it's a little bit more Uh, You do have to do like a setup and there's a little bit more um, work in the beginning. Right. And then we make sure that we repeat things. We make sure that the signage is right. We make sure that we know each person. So like if I know that this person is a doctor, I'm going to give them a different activity than somebody who used to be, you know, a school teacher or an architect. And so um, that people are like, oh, well, all this must take a lot of time it takes way less time later. You don't deal with repetitive questions all the time. You don't deal with people wandering and trying to get out of the building at home or in a care community. You know, you have much more time uh, and staff is happier and there's less staff turnover and family members are happier and there's less family burnout. Um, And like, if your loved one can be engaged in something that's meaningful to them and you can... Sometimes I use the example of like, you can actually just go to the bathroom, but you could, you know, you could read a book, which is like shocking, right? You could uh, do the dishes. If that's something that you like to do, you could do some art. You can do some art together. That's the other thing. And often it's why the book name was creative connections and our, our Instagrams same name as the book, but creative connections, because um, it does bring your connection back with your loved one, which I know is the thing that we always feel like is lost. And my loved one is gone. And it's, you know, it is because part of that is the way they present is different and the way they can verbalize relationship is different and things like that. But, um, it's also because we don't know how to connect anymore because it's harder. And so when we learn how to connect with somebody and bring back some of those things, like my mom, do you remember, uh, grandma taught you to read, on yeah. a what were you on?
2: I was on idea. I think I was playing Pokemon. When I was really little and I like couldn't, I was too young to really read like more complex words. So like in the game, she would sit there and help me read them. And that was like one of our best ways of connecting.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um. And so we found that like the, the game had short sentences, right? Mm-hmm. Font that she could read. Whereas we thought she couldn't read anymore because she couldn't read a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. But that's like, you know, so you can bring back these connections because it shows you a lot of possibility, but also how to guide your loved ones so that they can do something. You know, if I would have said, Jeffrey and mom, why don't you sit down and read a children's book together? She wouldn't have yeah. been able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we found this other way that was accessible yeah. for her. So, you know, I think that it um brings back a lot of connection and also gives people a lot of um time back and less stress and You know, I think it does break this idea that um, dementia is 100 percent bad all the time and there's never, ever anything good. Um, And I know that that's um, I know that when we first learned this, it was, oh, that sounds great. I tried an activity with mom. It didn't work. That doesn't work. I didn't realize that Montessori is a process and i didn't realize that there there is a process that you need to use because we tap into preserved abilities in dementia like procedural memory and like repetition and people with dementia can learn which is people don't know that people with dementia can yeah. learn and so we tap into all of that and that process is what makes life so 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 much easier but and this is the one hard thing with instagram you know you show a video of like something that can help but it doesn't we, it's only a minute we can't show you always yeah. all the prep and all the work that you do that in the beginning is a little it takes a little bit of time, but then it's like way easier yeah. forever after that. Um so yeah, I just people just, you know, they're like life is so much easier now. Like our members yeah. are like, you know, I my mom's not asking me 50 million questions all day. And like I can sit down and have tea. <laughs> like,
0: yeah. Man. And 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 for people who haven't experienced this are like, what what do you mean you can't have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee Mm -hmm. or, I mean they don't they don't get that I think you know bringing it back to what I call relation relationship based care I know person centered is big out there but to me person centered is overused and under delivered, and it's it's it started out very relationship based and very person centered and individualized but then it seems to me like it turned into in a lot of places very task oriented. Yeah. And once that the task means more than the person, you know, you've you've broken the chain of right. of creating that safe comfortable space. Yeah. people to be in that decreases the symptoms or the reactions and allows people to be independent. Yeah. Um, and it allows them, you know, I think being relationship based and putting them first um creates purpose for them. It creates community and that's what you want. That's what I want. That's what everybody yeah. wants. And yet we have been kind of sold a bill of goods over the years that this is a horrible disease and it's going to ruin your life and theirs and mm-hmm. there's no way out of it. And, you know, forget the joy. And, and it to me, it was really sad. You know, like I said, my mom lived with the disease for 30 years. Yeah. And if we would have listened to the doctors saying, you know, she'll probably live five to seven, we would have been looking at her watch going like, well, what are you waiting for, mom? It's supposed to be over, you know? And and I, it's sad to say it like that, but I hear that from a lot of families like, oh, I couldn't do this that long. And yet it was really a nice process overall. I mean, we all deal with stuff we don't want to, but it's, what are you going to make of it? And you can make it worse or you can make it better. You know, right. or you can just take your chances and and not even try one way or the other. Yeah. But that's not going to do anybody any good. It,
1: right. It's kind of yeah. how
0: I live my life. Yeah. Know? So um Jeffrey, how about you? What do you think about this Montessori based in terms of helping both family and professionals? What have you seen from your perspective?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've seen I said help a lot of. But... I kind of want to talk about like the child role in it, which mm-hmm. I think is the biggest part that helps children, and I mean, and obviously their loved ones, uh, or as children, but I as children, but more most of the time, grandchildren. I guess we we're thinking about it that way, but like little kids, it makes it a lot more accessible to care for their loved ones
0: because
2: mm-hmm. we have specific activities and specific things that are set up. They're easy for both the grandparent and the grandchild to do. They can do them together. They can have it set up. They can have like good instructions. So they know the steps that they can take and they can just have a good time together. And it's less of this like hard time setting things up, hard time planning, hard time getting things together. And there's also that sense of not like having independence with each other that is really valuable Mm -hmm. to both the kid and the grandparent because it's really it doesn't feel the same from the grandparent's perspective if they have like their kid who's supervising them supervising, supervising like their grandchild. grandkids yeah. like they're they're
0: uh, micromanaging yeah yeah yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah we get the complaints of that a lot for people with dementia that they really don't want to be micromanaged they want to have independence mm-hmm. and so much of what we do is to grant that independence and also makes it a lot easier for them to just have fun and have that because a lot of people mentioned they crave that relationship with their grandkids and being able to set up activities and make them doable really helps to restore that relationship, which is also super healthy for like the grandkids themselves and being able to see their their grandparent in that role that is really mm-hmm. important to them.
0: Yeah. yeah, I I totally agree with that. I. I think it does a lot for both sides. I know my mom loved having the kids around, unless it got really, really loud. Yeah. And yeah. Then that wasn't good for her because uh, you know the loud sounds um, affected her. But I mean, she we would we would get like this little kind of party room when she was in the nursing home, and we would have our family gatherings there. And the kids they'd be crawling under the tables and doing all kinds of stuff. And my mom might at times fall asleep in her her like Jerry wheelchair. Yeah. She knew. Every single time, like three seconds before those kids crawled out from underneath the table, and she would wake up and giggle and just see them come out. She just was like so in tune to where they were in the room. It Mm -hmm. was it just amazed me. And then, you know, then she'd fall back asleep again, but she, you know, she would engage on whatever level she could. Yeah. Um, Or in earlier stages, you know, like I said, she colored. Um, she, she read some things, some of them were just, um, you know, uh, fairy tales and stuff that she would tell or, yeah. you know, lullabies that they would sing together and yeah. teach that was just oh. real rote that, you know, probably her grandma and her mom all sang to her and she sang to me and, you know, yeah. all of those types of things, which are really They're such precious moments. And and I think what people miss so often, it's really, and maybe it's just me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, on my journey, it was really those small little moments that really touched and um, embedded in my heart. You know, it wasn't the big flashy stuff. It was little giggles (laughs) and the little silly things that happened that made us laugh.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I,
0: I think you're so important. And I think when a dis- when any chronic illness comes, I think one of the first things family think they have to give up is laughter. Yeah, yeah. joy. And, and that's not the case, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I really urge people to protect that. Yeah, you know, that's kind of the core of who we are. And, and not only is it healthy, but it's a survival technique too yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, really. for all of us. It is, you know. Yeah.
0: So well, what are what are ways that people can work with with the two of you?
1: So our main way is we started um a online membership. It's called Care Partners House because uh Dr. Montessori, her um schools were originally called children's houses. And so um, you know, we meet we can come and ask us questions about like give us a situation that they're that something happened with their loved one and then they you know we kind of troubleshoot it yeah. for them um and like tax season was super interesting we had like a couple of people whose loved ones were just all of a sudden obsessed yeah. about money mm-hmm. and it was
2: asking questions all the time like just not couldn't focus on anything couldn't even do other activities they were so preoccupied what we found was that really all they were doing was they were seeing so much tax information on TV that they were just it like affected their whole life Mm -hmm. and so that was what we helped them with in trying to like get them a little away from the TV maybe doing some stuff before they get into that mode of like obsessed with tax.
1: Yes so yeah like all that kind of, you know, kind of stuff. And especially, you know, working on like the family dynamics and, um, how does everybody, you know, work together and what's your care team and, um, actually hired care partners can be a part of that because most of them don't always, um, like get a ton of training. And so, um, you know, if they're not sure how to guide your loved one through doing something, um, you know, we have a lot of that Montessori yeah. process of there's so many behaviors that are behaviors again, which I don't like that happen. Like people think, oh, well, my loved one can't cook anymore, can't button their clothes, can't do all these things. But if we change one little thing about the way that we either set it up for them or help guide them through it, then they can, and there's not agitation and hitting and arguing and stuff. So we do a lot of that. Um, with our members. And of course there's full online courses and Montessori based dementia care and trauma informed practices. And yeah. um, I have a lot of Montessori um, activity. I call them recipes just because I like that, that I have created so that, cause people don't know the sequencing. Most people don't even know the sequencing to like brushing our own hair. Cause we don't ever have to think about it. So the sequencing to things and then how you guide somebody through sequencing. Yeah. Um, so, our membership, um, we meet every week mm-hmm. and then there's self-paced courses. And then I have, um, we have our ebook on signage with all the printable signs yeah. that people seem to really like. And there's always ways to do one-on-one sessions yeah. with, uh, each of us as well. If somebody needs something like more mm-hmm. really in depth, but the membership has been so fun.
2: Uh-huh, it really has. It's been like,
1: yeah, great experience. <laughs> um, so that's kind of where we're focusing yeah. mostly on membership and then also just doing trainings places. So like if somebody wants us to come, we do a lot of training at uh, churches and organizations that, you know, want to learn more yeah. about dementia care. Um, mm-hmm. We do that as well.
2: Yeah. we're just coming out to speak. doesn't have to be training. And then we're also coming out with uh, like a solo course soon, like probably next week. That so when be.
0: you say a solo course, what do you mean by that?
2: Yeah. So it's called, uh, it's called, why does my loved one do that? Or it's called understanding behaviors in dementia. and dementia. It's really just all about the process that we teach about how to really observe your loved one and determine like what, what we we're talking earlier yeah. about the why behind whatever is happening. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah, yeah, you look at a bunch of like what ha- what's happening around them, what's happening like in their internal environment and to determine what we can best use to help them out.
1: Yeah. So there's going to be like a little, like a short course, you know, so people can, because as you know, that's probably one of the biggest foundations in Montessori, the first thing is observation. And so that's what we teach, but there's this big chunk of observation of, that's kind of missing, we feel in dementia care of um, somebody's past, what they learned as children, um, their family system, you know, like we said, trauma, things like that. So there's that whole part, and then there's a whole part of, like you said, with, a shadow coming in, like my mom thought there were people in the house because she yeah. could see our reflection in the mirror. So there's that too. Like we can stop that hallucination by covering up our mirrors. Yep. <laughs> or yep. windows. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well and it's interesting, you know, when you were when you were talking about the people really panicking about tax time because of what they saw on TV. I think that is such a trigger for so many people and and families don't realize it because it's just on in everybody's house. It seems yeah. mm-hmm. And I'll never forget the time I was uh, at my mom's uh, at the nursing home, and I was cleaning out her closet because she got to the point where the only thing that belonged in her closet had to be red or pink. Mm-hmm. No other colors were hers, yeah. and so oh, nice. so I was starting to, you know, pick that stuff through and double checking. Are you sure? And yep, yep, that's not mine, not mine. Yeah. And we had the TV on in the background, and she just started sobbing. I mean, just hysterically. And I couldn't, and I'm like, mom, I can put this back if you've changed Mm, your mind. That's what I'm thinking is going on. And here it was on TV. We were bombing Iraq. She thought that was happening right outside. And she was terrified, just terrified. And as soon as I turned that TV off in seconds, she was right back and, and fine. And so often, I mean, so much of the stuff on TV is violent or negative, or even the political stuff. Um, I know if my mom and dad were still alive, they would just be. Uh, they couldn't believe this is happening in the yeah, US, yeah. you know, and can cause a lot of trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's there's a lot of little things that can be changed, like you said, real easily. Yeah. And got to look at that environment. You've got to look at, like you said, the whys. What are the triggers? Because so often I think families think, oh, they're just doing that because they know how to push my buttons. And oh, it, yeah, oh. no, they're not capable of of thinking that way anymore, no. you know,, no. totally. And so it's not about pushing buttons. It's really about their discomfort mm. and, and how they're trying to tell us something's off. please, yeah. please help me, you know. Yeah. Um, Well, gosh, this has just been a really wonderful and informative conversation. So I thank you both for for joining us. Again, we've been talking with Reverend Katie Norris and her son, Jeffrey, and they um, are the founders of Recourse Coaching. They have a multitude of ways that they can help you. So go visit their site and, you know, help others too. be a giver of hope, like and click and share this show you don't know who in your own sphere is dealing with this because so many people are still very uncomfortable sharing their stories. And the more information we can get out to people um, where we can make their environment feel safe enough to reach out when they're ready, um, the faster we're going to be able to help everyone, you know, it costs you no money, takes very little time, but it has a huge impact. Mm-hmm. So don't just think of yourself think of others when it when it comes to sharing information and knowledge and you can go to their website which is recoursecoaching.com you can visit them on instagram at creative connections dementia they are also under that same name on tiktok Uh, they have a youtube channel and They also have an SD shop for books and dementia activities. So these two are just uh, quite the powerhouses and I want to help you on a lot of different levels. So um, thank you for listening. And again, uh, Katie and Jeffrey, thank you for sharing your knowledge and your support to the world. Really appreciate it very much.
1: Thank you so much, Lori, for having us and for being an advocate for so, you know, I think it was 2014 2015 when my book came out and we did a podcast back then uh, and I remember thinking oh my gosh there's somebody talking about dementia like who's a family member (laughs) and who's helping other people like it was the best thing ever and it still is and I just so appreciate from the bottom of our hearts like how much you have done for uh, our community and for making our lives better so thank you so much for that.
0: Well, it takes us all together, you know, working together, if we can yeah. if we can lift one another up, you know, and, and spread the word of others works, because none of us are going to be able to serve everybody. I mean, that's yeah. the bottom mm-hmm. line. And I think once you have lived through dementia or lived alongside it, you realize it's not about competition, it's mm-hmm. about collaboration. Yeah it is about progress. It's not about perfection. It's not about failures. It's about lessons learned to be able to do better. And, yeah. you know, I've always said what's good for dementia is good really for all of us in all That's areas true. of yeah. our life. Yeah. And if, if that, if people can just realize that how much dementia can actually help them in other areas yeah. of their life, maybe that'll take some of the scary out yeah. It, 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 we're the ones building the fear. Yeah. And, and I think there's kind of an army of us out there now going, we don't want to live like that. Right. We want to live better. And we found different ways and we want to share that with others. And and that's exactly what you're doing. So thank you.
1: thank you. Thank you. I think that's been one of the cool things about social media. We get messages like, Oh, I tried this tip for myself. I don't have dementia. Yeah. And it worked. Yeah. I did this with my, you know, child who has autism and it worked for them. Like it really is good for all of us. So it's cool to see that. Mm -hmm. I know. I, I I just
0: launched my book, Betty, the bald chicken lessons here. And for years I beat myself up because it's like, why haven't I gotten this out? It's something I do on keynotes. People have asked for it for years and I just, I would work on it. And then I kind of go to the side and, and I just never got it off until now, but I really think I really think it's launched now because my vision of the book and in the book really didn't change, but yeah. my vision of how the book could be used is is for anybody who feels like they don't fit in yeah no. and there's a lot of people out there in a lot of situations, and it just has real simple questions that people can ask about you know, how do I want to be cared for? Right. Or what do I do when I personally am feeling down? What do I do when I see someone who's in trouble or in need? Yeah. And, and being able to open up those conversations and care. And again, wrote it as a children's book. And most adults are going to think they're going to teach the kids, but I really think the kids yeah. are going to teach the adults.
1: Children's on, book are the
0: best, <laughs> you know, on how to look at it differently. And it just kind of is it puts both sides, I think in a intimate kind of vulnerable, casual spot where yeah. conversations can just flow and no one's overthinking.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. So true. Yeah. So right. important.
0: So, yeah. Well, best of luck to you guys. And, um, I, I just think what you're doing is fantastic. So thanks again. Thank you so Thank much. You. Okay. We'll catch you later. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye Bye. Bye.